What's up, Netflix nerds? You're listening to the Psychology Channel, and today we are covering the Netflix original show, You. We are here to talk about human nature. It's on and popping up in here, you feel? Wheels up in 30 minutes. You are my queen. I don't know what else I can say. That's the thing. You need to be cool to be queen. She's crazy, and she needs to go down. I'm unstoppable! Fuck! Son of a bitch. This is so boring. I think that we've had quite enough of you today. Go on. You got it, Joe. So in today's episode, we're going to talk about all of the red flags that uh, Joe presents. And through that, we're going to be reading synopses of each episode just so you get a little bit of a refresher if you've already watched the show. It's been a while since it first came out. And we're just talking about season one today as we will have an event episode talking about season two. But through these synopses provided by Handy Dandy Resource uh, Wikipedia, you know, the most reliable source on the internet, we're going to be talking about the red flags that are presented to us, the audience, and then we're going to dive into red flags that Beck, the main female character, the intre- the love interest of Joe, is seeing and presented with. And then we are going to talk about whether or not we... Would we have been murdered by Joe? If we had been presented the same red flags that Beck is presented in the show, do we think that we have would, would have fallen for Joe and been ultimately murdered? Maybe. Maybe. <laughs> spoiler alert, post spoiler. <laughs> uh, we will be spoiling the shit out of the show as we usually do on our podcast. And I would say there's trigger warning of yeah. abusive relationships and violence. stalking and violence. Yeah. So if those are not things that you want to listen to, that's totally fine. Catch us on next week's episode. <laughs> All right. So should we jump right in? We're going to just read the little episode blurbs. Our season one, episode one, the pilot episode starts with bookstore manager Joe Goldberg meets aspiring writer Guinevere Beck and an internet search about her leads to Joe's following Beck around, monitoring her social interactions, and even entering her apartment while she is out. Joe is nearby when a drunken Beck falls onto the subway tracks and he saves her. Joe takes Beck home but steals her phone giving him full access to everything she does with her new phone due to it automatically synchronizing with her old one. Beck Later stops by the bookstore to thank him for rescuing her, and he asks her out. Joe lures Beck's philandering boyfriend, Benji, to the basement of his shop, hits him in the head with a mallet, and locks him in a plexiglass book vault. And that's all in episode one. That shit's wild. Like, just... (laughs) I know. If you need a refresher, Joe is the main character of you. Beck is his love interest. And Benji is the... A boyfriend might be a... Strong Overstatement. Yeah, but Benji is is the guy that she's seeing when when Joe first meets her. Wow. I mean, that's just like a lot to unpack. I mean, everything that... Every sentence in that contains a red flag of Joe. (laughs) Very true. I don't think there's one single sentence in this that doesn't have a red flag in it for the audience. Like, we just dove right into introducing the characters, and an internet search about her leads to Joe's following Beck around, monitoring her social interactions, and entering her apartment while she's out. What a way to start a show. Right from the get-go. Jesus Christ. (laughs) It's, it's It's such like a captivating show, 
show that you're like, you're disgusted, but also like, I need to keep watching this. It's not like a, I don't know. I didn't feel uncomfortable. Mm, uh, no, that's a lie. <laughs> <laughs> there are definitely some times that I felt a little uncomfy, but the show is narrated by Joe. So it's first person from his perspective. So you're in Joe, the audience is in Joe's head, which makes it pretty captivating and he's kind of funny so (laughs) he's pretty hilarious when he does bad things i'm not like holy fucking shit joe i'm like joe (laughs) i I don't want to be a total joe apologist but he is he's a compelling character to watch from the get-go for sure all right moving on to episode two Joe is not sure what to do with Benji, who is a drug-addicted, trust-fund baby and desperate to be freed. Meanwhile, while when Beck rejects her professor's advances, he threatens to take away her teaching assistant job and consequently her housing, Beck's wealthy friend Peach is suspicious of Joe. Beck turns the tables on her professor by threatening to expose his sexual harassment of her and six other women after obtaining a video of Benji hazing a fraternity pledge to death. Joe gives him a coffee laced with peanut oil and Benji dies from an allergic reaction. New character, Peach, played by Shay Mitchell, who is Beck's best friend. Peach Salinger. She is, for some reason, she is J.D. Salinger, author of Catcher in the Rise, granddaughter. Not relevant at all. Unrelated, but kind of a red flag, maybe? Question mark, question mark, question mark. (laughs) <laughs> Not yeah. to expose Eden, but she hates Catcher in the Rye. Catcher in the Rye fucking sucks. You can you can fight me on that. I will not change my opinion. Literally, I rolled my eyes so hard when she was like Peach Salinger. I was like, okay, <laughs> all right. <laughs> red flags. Uh, well, Joe murders someone. <laughs> Uh, I'd say that's a pretty reasonable red flag. Yeah, that's kind of scary. Like a, like a B plus red flag. Yeah, it's not like the top of the list. <laughs> <laughs> Just kidding. It absolutely it fucking absolutely is. is. Joe is a bulldozer. He oh is, yeah. He's so hell bent on like loving and being with Beck and like his obsession and delusions yeah. with Beck that he will take down anyone in his way. So he has he has his little schoolboy crush on Beck and he finds out that Benji and Beck are boning. Yeah, Got that little bit of alliteration in there. Love that. Love that. Yeah, and he's not happy and, about it. But to Joe's credit, he does not kill Benji until he finds out that Benji has also killed another man. Yeah, we'll we'll see in this in this show that joe has like a really weird fucked up moral code i guess that like slowly breaks down as the season goes on he didn't really want to kill benji until he saw an excuse to do so and as soon as he saw an excuse to do so he he did it (laughs) and in the most savage way possible he laced benji's coffee with peanut oil because Benji is allergic to peanuts. That yeah. is terrifying. Like, if you're terrifying. allergic to anything, oh, God. Not Anaphylaxis a good time. does not seem like the way to go. No, not at all. Also, in the in the first, uh, just from the first episode as far as red flags go, because we are in, in Joe's head for the show, we see that, like, from the first moment, as the audience, we see from the first moment that Joe sees Beck in the bookstore from the very first scene when she walks in and he's kind of lurking, looking at her, thinking she's hot Hello, or whatever. You, Ugh, I hate it. <laughs> so creepy. But he he just like projects all kinds of assumptions onto her. Like when she does the most minimal things, like she makes eye contact and he's like, "Oh, you want to be s- noticed? But you 
you look away so that you don't seem too seductive or whatever like all kinds of or like her credit card yeah he's like oh you carry cash in your wallet but you're giving me your credit card because you want me to know your name like what no i'm giving you my credit card because i don't got cash homie like i didn't want to pay the goddamn three dollar atm fee like jesus oh my god from from the very get-go like hearing stuff like that is so creepy because it hits a little too close to home i'm not saying that every man Man is a freaking psycho like Joe, but I'm sure, ladies, that you know at least one guy that you can think of that has like projected these kinds of things onto you. I mean, I don't know if you've ever had that happen or had that scenario. I don't know. Just the way that sometimes men can make assumptions about oh, a woman that smiled at me. She must yeah. want my children. Like exactly, exactly. Like oh, she makes a lot of eye contact, so she must want me to ask her out on a date. You know, like that kind of thing is is really common so it's like really creepy right from the top when you hear it also that's like what makes it kind of like it kind of normalizes joe because we're like okay it is definitely a mind fuck being in his head because you get used to the way that he thinks it seems it makes it seem normal and he like rationalizes it to himself like so he thinks he's being rational and you obviously are in his head so you're like I mean, I guess I could see that. And you're like, wait, I'm literally siding with like a crazy person. Like, what? It definitely, definitely gets you thinking. So episode three called Maybe. Joe plans how to get rid of Benji's body while Beck is intimidated by Blythe, a rival graduate student. Joe doubles down on his efforts to convince Beck that he is the one for her after finding out that she's still having sex with other men in order to get over Benji. Joe overhears Beck telling her friends that she's not completely sure about Joe, calling him a maybe. Beck opens up to Joe about her addict father, but their attempt at lovemaking is interrupted by Peach, who needs to be taken to the hospital for a chronic ailment. Joe is almost caught by hikers while he is burning Benji's body in the woods as he is taking as, as he is talking to Beck on the phone. She invites him over to her apartment and they finally have sex, but he prematurely ejaculates. Thanks Wikipedia for that preemie EG. <laughs> Uh, I hate it here. (laughs) More red flags, obviously. Uh, Burning a body in the woods is a pretty pretty big red flag, I would say. So our red flags for this episode, you gotta say it. Oh, the, what, the, the premature Ejac that yeah. he comes in like 0.5 seconds? Big, big red flag. Big red flag. I mean, if, you know, if that's ever happened to you, I'm sorry, pour one out. That's embarrassing. But like, <laughs> it, it's bad in Joe's case. It's bad. It's just so uncomfortable to watch too, because you're just like- Because it's, it's not, it's like premature might even be exaggerated. It, it's like as soon as he gets in there, yep. it, it's over. <laughs> it, it's like over before it's even begun. And I know I hear a lot of stories about this happening, mostly to people who have never had sex before or who are like young, like teenagers. Yeah. Joe is like a grown man. <laughs> like he's yeah. a grown man. So a little bit weird. Also in this episode... <sighs> Joe, like, is really, I mean, like the synopsis said, really hammering on on trying to convince Beck that he's the quote-unquote one for her when they, they've literally had sex, if you can even call it that, one single time. Like, they've been seeing each other for- Casually. Very casually for, like, what, maybe, like, a week, two weeks? She's still sleeping with other people, all that. And he tells her things like, you know I'm good for you. That's terrifying. That's 
that's yeah. like, homie, like, you're weird. too attached. Yeah. So the synopsis of episode four, also called The Captain. Beck surreptitiously <laughs> Beck surreptitiously messages her friends about Joe's disappointing lovemaking, which he sees via her old phone. Still monitoring her texts. Joe sees that Beck has made weekend plans with an older man she calls the captain and lies to her friends about it. A jealous Joe follows her to a Charles Dickens festival in Nyack and soon learns that the man is her father, Edward, who she had previously said was dead. Meanwhile, Peach has learned that Joe is in Nyack, which forces him to reveal himself to Beck. They go to lunch with Edward and his new family, but Beck explodes at her critical and disapproving stepmother, Nancy. Beck explains to Joe that her father left her family after a drug overdose, and although he has overcome his addiction, she has kept him at a distance. Joe and Beck have sex again, this time, much to Beck's satisfaction. Good job, Joe. I don't know what you did, I don't know how you worked it out, but you worked it out. <laughs> the the major red flag in this episode is that they, again, have what, been dating for like a week? Two weeks? Yeah. And he's like, he, he's like, you know, like... <laughs> Sure, like maybe it's could be just a weird coincidence that he's also at this Charles Dickens festival. It sucks because he has the perfect scapegoat. Like he is, he exactly. works at a at used bookstore, bookstore yeah. and like he like prioritizes in like old and rare books. And he's like, oh yeah, I just came here for the books. Didn't realize you were here. And it's like obviously yeah, he's just yeah. there following her because yeah. that's who he is. Even that being said, like like sure, maybe you run into this guy that you've been dating for a few weeks but like somehow he finesses an invite to their like extremely tense family lunch she's not even telling her best friends that her dad is alive like i would i would be like okay it was nice running into you this is my dad kind of awkward we can talk about it later bye i'm gonna go have lunch with my family like I, so the fact that he like finesses his way into that situation is just really weird i mean you pointed out the the way that he like kind of finds finds her when she's in the most like vulnerable situations and takes advantage of that like even the example when she's drunk and he's following her home when she's drunk and i mean luckily he saves her from being hit by a train or but like she's drunk he could have saved her from anything you know if she stumbled he could have like ran up and been like are you okay you know like really find it the most vulnerable points yeah <laughs> to he's slide in riding in on his white horse Okay, episode five, titled Living with the Enemy. Peach continues to be suspicious of Joe, who seeks a way to neutralize her. <laughs> uh, okay. Uh, Peach makes a show of introducing Beck to a famous literary agent, but when he hits on Beck and tells her the negative things Peach said about her, Beck blows up at Peach. Joe sees through Peach's subsequent faked suicide attempt and in accessing her laptop comes to realize she is infatuated with Beck. Knowing that Peach will always win Beck's attention, Joe follows Peach on her morning run in Central Park and hits her over the head with a rock. Joe arrives home to find that Paco has drugged Ron to protect his mother. Joe saves Ron, but an unhinged Ron beats him. Joe learns that Peach is alive. So some new characters in this episode. Paco is a little boy who lives next door to Joe in his apartment complex with his mother and abusive stepfather. And Joe is weirdly like very protective of this kid and like wants to do right by him and help him, which compared to like everything else we've seen 
from this character thus far is a pretty big contrast to his other behavior. No, I think it's like another device that the that the creators use to like make you not hate Joe with all your heart. But it does also go to show again his like weird moral code that he has. Like he genuinely thinks that he's like morally superior to other people despite the fact that he's literally murdered killed. one person and yeah. tried to murder another person. <laughs> like he literally knocks her over the head with a rock. Yeah, that's savage as hell. I was going to say Joe trying to like separate Peach and Beck. That's like oh, kind of a big yeah. red flag. Like while what he has said is correct, Peach is appears to be in love with Beck and he's rationalizing it by saying like, "Oh, well I'm protecting her and blah 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 blah." It's not your place, new man in Beck's life, to try and separate her from her best friend. They've been best friends forever. Very true. The way that he's so delusional that he like tricks himself into thinking that he's like doing this for Beck's own good. Yeah. And in fact, he's doing it because like the synopsis we just read said, he knows that Beck would always choose Peach over him. Pretty, uh, pretty shitty. <laughs> Joe. SMH Joe. So moving on to episode six, which is called, excuse me, <laughs> what? Amor Amorfu. <laughs> A recovering Peach is staying with Beck and she banishes Joe, which is hilarious. She's recovering from being knocked over the head with a rock by Joe, but yeah. she doesn't know that it's Joe. So she's having all her girlfriends like take care of her and Joe comes over to Beck's house and she's like, there's like a, there's like a male presence in here and it's not conducive to my healing. That's essentially what she says. <laughs> I think she says exactly. It's not conducive to my healing. I... I love that. I need to start using that line in my everyday life. <laughs> Your male energy just isn't doing it for me. <laughs> I don't have any chicken nuggets in front of me right now, and it's not conducive to my healing. <laughs> <laughs> Joe explains to Beck that Peach is in love with her and trying to keep Beck dependent on her. Joe secretly follows when Peach whisks Beck off to the Salinger family estate in Greenwich. Is that how you say that? It's Greenwich. Greenwich. (laughs) I am not from the East Coast. But he hits his head and begins hallucinating his ex-girlfriend Candace. Peach invites her and Beck's old friend Raj over. They all ingest MDMA, casual, and Peach attempts to initiate a threesome with Beck and Raj. Also, also very casual. casual. <laughs> <laughs> Beck turns down her advances and leaves the room to text Joe. The next morning, Joe is sneaking around the house and urinates in a jar and places it on a shelf. Also casual. <laughs> Beck confronts Peach about the kiss and leaves, after which Peach discovers Joe in the house and pulls a gun on him. Once she again. Ac- <laughs> casual. <laughs> There's so many casual things happening. This, yeah. this is like my Monday. This is my my Monday, every Monday. She accuses him of stalking her and Joe reveals all that he knows about her. They wrestle for the gun and Peach is killed. Joe types a suicide note on Peach's computer, leading detectives to believe that Peach shot herself. You know, initially when I was watching this show, I was like, how the hell are none of these cops picking up on any of the suspicious bullshit that's going on. And then I was like, oh, it's because they're cops. <laughs> I was like, I don't know why I would think that they would pick up on it. I was like this. trying to like figure out something in my brain. I was like, well, maybe because, uh, but. <laughs> no, it's- because they're local law enforcement. 
Yeah, okay, ton of red flags for the audience here. Joe sneaks into your best friend's house in Greenwich, which is far away from New York City. I think it's in, I was going to say it's in Boston, but Boston is not a state. I think it's in Massachusetts. <laughs> All good, because I just called it Greenwich, so. <laughs> he, oh, uh, he, sorry. he hits his head and he, I believe, does that in a car accident, right? When he's like headed there. So despite getting into a car accident and he probably being concussed like he's still all he cares about is like knowing where Beck is at all times and just to think about that like going so many places and genuinely not knowing that anyone is following you let alone this guy that you're seeing is following you did you just get a shiver like a visible shirt on my spine I'm like looking out my window like uh stalking scares me so much all right yeah well I'll move on to episode seven called everything ship (laughs) ew Joe makes an appointment with Beck's therapist. Huge fucking (laughs) (laughs) Absolutely not. Yeah. So just in case you missed that, Joe makes an appointment with Beck's therapist, Dr. Nikki, using an alias, Paul. He talks about his how his relationship with Ronaldo, really Beck, was going well after Peach's death a month before, but slowly deteriorated. With Beck becoming increasingly moody, distant, and secretive, Joe jealously follows her. What's new? But she catches him. She can't. Okay, that's new. (laughs) He then accuses her of cheating on him with her therapist, and she breaks up with Joe. Go off, Beck. In the present, Joe listens to one of Beck's therapy sessions on Dr. Nikki's computer, which makes Joe realize Beck is better off without him right now. He tells her what she wants to hear and lets her go. Fair enough. There's a lot of shitty stuff going on. Red flags in this episode for the audience. We're seeing that that Joe is like, if you didn't come to terms with the fact that Joe is a criminal before somehow, (laughs) he's a criminal all around. Like he's not just a murderer. He's not just a stalker. Like he will break into anywhere that he needs to, to listen to anything or take anything that he wants, which is just like no boundaries. Zero. Zero respect for other people's boundaries. thinks that this is what true love is. One other thing that came to mind when you were reading that too is I was remembering this episode. Joe is just like, why is Beck acting so weird? Why is she being so distant? Ugh, she's so moody lately. Like, we haven't even had sex in forever. And I'm like, bro, she's grieving. Despite the fact that Peach may have not been like the best person, Beck's best friend still just died. Of course she's moody. Like, of course she's going through it. But Joe's complete and total lack of empathy like does not allow him to and narcissism does not allow him to understand why Beck would be having this reaction like it must be him so also episode 7 is called everything ship and Joe and Beck are playing Scrabble and they're playing like where you invent your own words and he invents the word everything ship as in like their relationship is an everything ship like you are everything to me which is like at face value oh that's kind of sweet but bro you've literally been together for like a month now and you've had lots of problems also I should not be your everything after a month Not even two months. Not even three months. Yeah. It should take a while for someone to be your everything. Yeah. If someone I'd been dating for like a month was like, you're my everything. I'd be like, uh, what about your family or your friends or your dog? Literally anything else. Like anything else. Your job. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely a bit of a uh, there. (laughs) 
moving on to episode eight, titled You Got Me, Babe. Three months after his and Beck's breakup, Joe is happily dating Karen. And Beck's story about Peach's death has landed her a book deal. Beck begins to miss Joe and begins texting him after running into him, quote unquote, running into him at a food truck. Both Beck and Joe confide in Dr. Nikki. Beck denies flirting with Joe, but is sure that Karen is wrong for him. While Joe is starting to compare his new love, Brad, actually Karen, with his ex, Ronaldo, actually Beck. Joe and Beck reconnect while helping Blythe move in with Ethan, and Joe and Beck later have sex. A tearful Beck admits to Joe that she now knows how good he was for her, but she was afraid to need him. Joe breaks up with Karen and rushes over to visit Beck, who agrees to get back together with him. Karen confronts Beck, leading her to become suspicious of Joe's past. At this point, we're at episode eight, so I feel like the audience has plenty of red flags as far as our Mr. Joe Goldberg goes that point (laughs) at him being a total fucking psycho creep. But the moment where Karen confronts Beck is pretty fucking iconic. I mean, but like another red flag is like him immediately running back to her after being in a relationship with someone else for three months. Like literally he dumps Karen and then actually runs over to Beck's house. That's not great. Before we move on to episode nine, this is me bashing on Beck. I was just reread the line. Beck's story about Peach's death has landed her a book deal. If you ever... I feel like if your best friend writes a fucking book about you, about your death within like a month or two of your death and like gets a book deal, you should haunt the shit out of your friend. Like that's not a good homie. I'll uh, I'll keep that in mind. Unless <laughs> it's like, okay, in my suicide note, I write like, Eden, go for it. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Do me um. justice. <laughs> Shall we move on to episode nine? Things are getting real dicey. Things are getting dicey and spicy. Episode nine is titled Candace, which is the name of Joe's mysterious ex-girlfriend who literally up until now, Beck has not been able to find out much about, except for the fact that it ended because Candace just like fled the country. And went to Rome. Totally normal. Totally normal stuff. Joe recalls Candace is cheating on him with Elijah, whom Joe subsequently impulsively pushes to his death from a bridge after confronting him. SMH. Meanwhile, since Joe will not talk to her about Candace, Beck begins her own investigation to learn what happened between them and why no one ever heard from Candace again. So she's doing an investigation on where Candace is, but she's not doing an investigation on Peach's death. Sorry. (laughs) I'm still... All right. And it says, when her efforts lead to a dead end, Beck confronts Joe, who explains everything to Beck's satisfaction. Joe takes Beck to meet Mooney, who has had a stroke and is unable to communicate. Joe's father figure and the original owner of the bookstore. Joe discovers that Beck did have an affair with Dr. Nikki, which she finally admits before telling Joe she loves him. So I was fucking my therapist but I love you. My God, love you too. Totally water under the bridge. Clued in by something Paco says, Beck discovers Joe's hiding place in the bathroom ceiling. She is horrified and she finds her old cell phone as well as Benji's and Peach's in addition to other disturbing mementos he has kept. When Joe realizes that Beck has, what Beck has found, he locks her in the book vault. Okay, okay. Ugh. When they say disturbing mementos, we mean disturbing 
disturbing. Disturbing. Like, this is his trophy box. He has a pair of Bex underwear, and then it, like, gives her a flashback of, like, hmm, I I remember thinking, where did those underwear go? And then- Hmm, I don't remember giving those to him. Yeah. Her, like, yoga shirts also that went mysteriously missing. So far, like, the underwear, the yoga shirt, okay, kind of weird, but could be maybe a fetish thing that he's, like, a little embarrassed about. And it could be one of those things that it's like, dude, you should have just talked to me about this or something. Yeah. Just ask me for my freaking underwear. Like, he has a box of Benji's teeth in in the box. Not good. Box within a box with teeth inside. And (laughs) probably most disturbing of all. He has uh, one of Beck's used tampons in the box. No! Like, literally just thinking about that process. Isn't it, like, wrapped up in tissue and she, like, unwraps it? She's like, oh, what is it? Oh, my God. Homie had to go into the trash and, like, find that and take it out. I wouldn't want to do that with my own tampon. I have one thing to say, and it's that... She should have used a diva cup. Yeah. <laughs> she maybe would not have been murdered. Because, like, you would notice your diva cup go missing. Yeah. You don't notice his tampon go missing. Like, that might have been the red flag that finally set her, like, would have set her off. She's like, okay, this is it. I've had enough. My fucking diva cup's gone. Like, um. Yeah, my underwear's going missing. My yoga shirt's gone. Now my diva cup is gone. You know, honestly, save the environment. Save yourself from being murdered. Use a use diva, diva cup. <laughs> Oh, and if you weren't aware, this episode is being sponsored by Diva Cup. <laughs> Use code Psych Channel Pod on Diva Cup to get 10% off. I'm just kidding. You will have to pay full price for your yeah. Diva Cup. <laughs> Working on it. Diva Cup, hit us up. <laughs> so again, episode 10, this is the last episode of season one. By this point, there are no more audience red flags. We know who Joe Goldberg is, and we know that he is a stalker. He's a murderer. He's a psychopath. He's a tampon stealer. He's a tampon gremlin. And, um... <laughs> like, what was he, why the tampon? Like, what was he doing with it? I don't want to know. I don't want to know. I don't want to know what he was doing with it. I'm gonna start crying, okay? <laughs> Moving on to episode 10. This is the season finale of season one. It's titled Bluebeard's Castle. Joe learns from Annika and Lynn that Peach's family have hired a private investigator to look into her death. Imprisonment prompts Beck to write about her own actions, which have brought her to her current situation. And she she suggests to Joe that he use Dr. Nikki as a scapegoat for his crimes. Ron's abuse puts Claudia in the hospital and Joe kills him to protect Paco. Joe explains to Beck his reasoning for murdering Benji and Peach and relates it to his childhood mental abuse at Mooney's hands. She appears to empathize with Joe and seems grateful for his actions. Beck lures Joe into the vault and manages to lock him in, revealing that it was all just an act to get him to open the door. Still trapped in the basement, she calls out to Paco who thinks she knows about Ron and leaves. Joe escapes the vault and kills Beck. Four months later, Joe has used used Beck's writing to frame Dr. Nikki for all of Joe's murders. Claudia and Paco move to California. Joe is stunned when Candace comes into the bookstore telling him they have unfinished business. That's the end. Goodbye, guys. No. (laughs) All right. Thanks for listening. (laughs) It was a good finale. All I can say is Joe, more like no. (laughs) 
<laughs> All right. Should we now talk about Beck and what red flags she could actually see? Because while Beck may, I mean, I think we both agree that Beck is definitely a bit naive and maybe a bit too much of a romantic and a little bit dependent, kind of lets other people run her life yeah. a little bit. She's obviously still not at fault for her own freaking murder. Or at fault it, for like pretty much any of it, except for writing her best friends. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, very true. So uh, obviously, as you're watching the show, the audience is we're, we're in Joe's head. So it's easy to rationalize the things that he's doing, I guess, because we're hearing him rationalize the things exactly. that he's doing. Yeah. And it's also easy to look at Beck as a character and be like, how the fuck? This is totally her fault. Like she should have seen this coming. But if the show had been from Beck's perspective alone, it would have been a completely different show joe would have yeah. been in the background so often while she's just living her normal day-to-day life joe like there's so be in like four episodes yeah yeah there's so so many red flags that we the audience see that beck is just completely unaware of and it's not her fault that she's unaware of those things so we're gonna we're gonna talk about what red flags we think did present themselves to beck that maybe she ignored a little bit we're kind of gonna go in order because obviously things escalate the red flags escalate as as the show escalates. So right from the get-go, when they start dating, Joe has like zero to no interest in her friends, like meeting her friends, interacting with her friends, uh, talking to her friends, getting to know her friends. Anytime um, he is interacting with them, he's always kind of just like rolling his eyes and just not really engaging with them. Not I at mean, all. It's pretty obvious that he doesn't want to. To be fair to Joe, mm-hmm. not me siding with a psycho. Yeah. Again. Oh, Tegwin, Tegwin's being a psychopath apologist. She's being a Joe <laughs> apologist. No, like, yeah. Beck's friends suck. Yeah, Beck's friends do suck. So it makes it easier to understand why Joe doesn't want to interact with them yeah but at but the like, same I feel time like you usually have to fake it yeah if you want to date a person you have to just get to know who who they know you have to hang out with them and he yeah. d- shows no interest he only wants to hang out with beck if it's just the two of them he doesn't like to share her attention with anybody else and it's pretty obvious we also put that he's a bit controlling i mean he's like he he tries to get beck to like do these things with him and she's like uh, like especially in the beginning like she's like I, I, I don't know like yeah I think a little a little bit too as far as the like the little bits of control because obviously behind the scenes he's extremely controlling yeah. but she doesn't she's not aware of that so the little bit that she could have been aware of is like he just you know for a guy that she hasn't been dating for a very long time especially in the beginning when it's not that serious uh, he kind of gives a lot of unasked for opinions yeah about things like it, it, a lot of times like it seems like he's very subtly trying to sway her decision making as far as like the the drama with her friends that she'll relate to him or like anytime she is talking to him about her problems he has a tendency to be like you should do this nudge 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 it's like she's a grown woman she can make her own decisions um doesn't he i think he takes away her like phone or something in the beginning because like she, so she's a writer and he's like well you need to write and then like, oh yeah kind of puts her in like a secluded spot it's like yeah okay. totally which is like if yeah. you're like being supportive i understand being like okay let's remove your distractions but like homie you've been dating her for like a week so like you don't have any say yeah she didn't ask you to do that like it would be yeah. one thing if she's like hey i really want to get writing done this weekend can you hold my phone for me so it doesn't distract me 
But instead, like he plants that idea in her mind and it's like, you should do this because you need to be writing. And it's like, dude, don't tell me what I need to be doing. Fuck off. (laughs) Other pretty big red flag, at least to me, is that he comes in like 0.5 seconds. The first time they have sex, like, I get it. Women are hot. Like, I understand. But Yeah, Beck is pretty fire. I'm not going to lie. She's, she's very beautiful. But it, it, he's been so horny for her, like, the whole time. But, dude, like, you're a grown adult man. <laughs> like, it, it, it's just weird. It's just weird. And if she was already on the fence about him as is, she's like, I, I'm, I'm out. <laughs> yeah, I, I would have maybe peaced out after that, to be honest. <laughs> I mean, it, it seems shitty, but, like, I, I don't know. It's just so weird. It's so uncomfortable comfortable um the fact that he's like a grown man and that happens and then like they don't even talk about it and uh, uncomfy because like, preemie eg I, <laughs> I and you guys even quote us on that please do exactly. i think that that's even an overstatement for what happens because like i like it's not even a minute as soon as joe has entered the building he has left the building <laughs> Yeah, very true. Like, he walks in the door, goes, oh, and then walks out. (laughs) He's also, like, pretty insecure. Yeah. Which, I mean, anytime she texts somebody, he's like, who are you texting? It's like, dude, just fucking relax. Just chill. We get it. You were cheated on. words with friends. Calm down. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, like, I don't know. Like, he, he has been cheated on in his past relationship, as we saw with Candace. So it's obvious if you've been cheated on, you're going to be more prone to noticing people discreetly yeah. texting. And, and like be a little more insecure in yeah. relationships. Too. Yeah, that's fair. But like the way he presents it is like really clingy and annoying. Yeah. And I mean, to me, being the other person in that relationship, it, it'd be a little, it's like, okay, I, I understand that you've been cheated on, but if you're still so insecure from that, then you're probably not ready to start another relationship before you really work through all that. Like Joe immediately thinks he's in love with Beck, Mm -hmm. but doesn't ever even give an opportunity of building trust whatsoever. Because from the first night that they interact with each other, really, he swipes her phone and since then can see every single thing she's doing on her phone. It's like obsessive, probably because he has been cheated on in the past on top of uh, the mental issues that he has. But um, plethora of mental issues. Yeah. Joe Goldberg's amygdala is just soup. (laughs) Other stuff that's like kind of funny since, uh, but is a red flag kind of for, for Beck, but since we hear it from Joe's perspective, it's kind of funny. Um, He knows things about her that he shouldn't know, obviously, because he's fucking stalking her. And he does slip up a couple times in the show and like he'll say things and she's like, how do you know that? And he like tries to play it off and his internal monologues are pretty funny when that happens. He's like, ah, crap. Always seems to end up saving himself. He's pretty good at thinking on the yeah, fly. Yeah. I think one example of that that you had pointed out is there. She, so she's shopping for a, a bed and mm. she's like, mm, I really like this one, but I also like this one. He's like, well, that one wouldn't fit in your apartment. And she's like, how would uh, you know that? And he's like, oh, uh, we live in New York. So everybody's apartment's small. And she's like, oh, ha ha ha. True. Mm. I don't know. I wouldn't buy that. Like, <laughs> I'd be so scared. Like, um, you can't just say that to me. Like, I don't know. Man, small for this bed. He just crits his charisma checks. All <laughs> like man gets by on pure charisma 
all the time. Honestly. Um, and we'll see real. that more in season two as well. Yeah, we, we see it more in season two because Joe, a la Ted Bundy, a la Jeffrey Dahmer, a la many other psychos of this variety are just really charismatic and it's really scary. Another red flag that Beck definitely, definitely could have seen was when she literally catches him following her. And like, I don't want to I don't want to blame her too much, but like it, it would have been over for good for me after that. Like that's just yeah, too much. I agree. Too much. Like they've been dating for maybe a couple months, two months, maybe three, maybe three months max when, when she catches him following her. I think yeah. I was talking to you. We were talking about this before. It's like, you know, Jacob and I have been dating for like, we're coming up on like six years. Yeah. And if I caught him following me, <laughs> Even now, I'd be like, uh, what the fuck are you doing? Like, this is not, no, no. Like, because then the, tr- then the trust is gone. Then yeah. I'm like, have you been following me everywhere I go for all of these six years? Like, how yeah. am I supposed to believe that you haven't been? Which is exactly what Joe has been doing. <laughs> <laughs> Since the beginning. Yeah. Ugh. Exactly. Since even before the beginning. Yep. Ugh. Hello, you. <laughs> Stop. I don't like it. Another red flag is where the fuck are Joe's friends? Ugh. Yeah. No. That is that is a huge red flag. Joe doesn't have anybody except for Ethan, who's like the weird guy who works at the bookstore. He just works with him. Yeah. yeah, he's not even, like friends with him. Joe cannot have friends because he is doesn't care. Yeah, he's obsessive and he's a psychopath. So he's like doesn't care about other people. Actually, I'm going to take that back and I'm going to say Joe does have one friend, Paco. I thought you were going to say they used tampon for some oh, reason. No. <laughs> Do you think he named, you think he named he put, it? Like, googly eyes on it or something. <laughs> it's like Beck Jr. No. He has a little blonde wig on. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you're right. You're right. Joe's Joe's one friend is eleven, <laughs> which is weird. I guess it just again maybe speaks to Beck's naivete or whatever. But it's just it, it's strange if if you're dating someone and you know after a month, after two months you haven't met like they have not introduced you to their friends they haven't introduced you to their family and or even talked about their family very much he just doesn't have anything else going on except for dating beck which you would think when you're dating somebody that you'd think about that maybe it's like okay this guy doesn't really have any hobbies like he just works at this bookstore and then sees me all the time and we happen to run into each other a lot which is like terrifying like if you live in a small town understandable but you're literally living in new york city with eight million other people and i think that's definitely a red flag that she just didn't pick up on one of the next red flags that beck sees but doesn't really pick up on is i mean i guess she kind of does but karen confronts her yeah about joe and his past and basically is like if he's gonna do this to me what is he gonna do to you and yeah. obviously there's something about candace so karen basically insinuates that if candace came back beck would be left by the wayside most likely and beck's kind of like uh shit yeah maybe i should find more find out more about candace which that's that's the point in the show where beck starts to kind of pick up yeah Uh, pick up too little too soon on yeah (laughs) or too little too late too little too late too little too soon she'd be alive if she picked up on stuff too little too soon (laughs) (laughs) too big Uh, too soon (laughs) yeah no that's that's a preemie eg right there (laughs) 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 too too little too soon No. <laughs> oh, Lord. What's our last red flag that we think Beck could have picked up on but did not? Well, I mean, like, 
not talking about Candace is like a oh, yeah. is like a pretty pretty sizable one. I mean, like obviously you're you're trained not to talk about your exes when you're first starting to date someone. But if your if your like current significant other is asking you about your exes and you're like, uh, <clears throat> we don't talk about that. Like that's pretty shady, dude. Like she's so invested that she feels the need to do her own investigation because Joe won't talk to her. And I'm like, girl, do you need to or should you just get the fuck out of this? Like, yeah. <laughs> you know, like if you're going that far maybe maybe this ain't it agreed and then the the trophy box that's the last one and that's that's too little too late yep i mean she did find a red flag in there uh shooting the diva cup (laughs) (laughs) um god all right well the last question that we have to ask ourselves for this episode is uh do you think you would have? Do you think you would have fallen for Joe? Do you think he would have? He would have killed you. Um. Okay. So, like, based on these specific red flags that he presented mm-hmm. to Beck, no, I don't yeah. think I would have fallen for it. But I think. Oh, well, this is a stupid. This is just a dumb hypothetical. But I think that like someone like that, it's ter- that's like very scary to think about. Oh yeah, it's terrifying. I mean, props to Penn Badgley for doing the thing because he's he's doing a really good job in the role. Like, you have to be able to do that. Like, my mask is slipping or my mask is off now yeah. and you can see the real me. And he did that so well and was so scary. Like, But yeah, I, I think I think Joe could have got me. Joe, Joe could have got me until I caught him following yeah. me. Yeah, I feel that. I, I don't think, like, Beck comes back to him after that three-month time jump. But I, yeah, I, I don't, I'd like to think at least that I would not do that after yeah. catching something follow me but would i have maybe dated him absolutely <laughs> like absolutely so i can't i can't blame her for falling for him not at all yeah which is scary so terrifying just don't trust anyone i guess <laughs> <laughs> that's the moral of this episode <laughs> don't, don't let anybody in until you until you've fully vetted them you know until like you followed them around had their phone for a while yeah like exactly. check on their families killed their best friends exactly you gotta you gotta stalk them to ensure that they aren't stalking you exactly and with that i think that's the end of this episode (laughs) for thanks for tuning in we will be doing a you part two and we will talk about season two and we will also be doing a you part three when season three comes out i imagine because that is coming out sometime this year i think right yes ma'am so yeah we will have a you part two coming out soon Make sure you check that out. In the meantime, follow us on Instagram and Twitter at Psych Channel Pod or send us an email at psychchannelpod at gmail.com. And also follow us on your preferred podcast platform if that's Spotify or Apple Podcasts or Buzzsprout if you're using that. And leave us some good reviews on iTunes and Apple Podcasts. And also don't forget to send us your dreams. We love hearing your dreams and reading your dreams. You can keep it anonymous if you prefer. And thank you for tuning in next time on the Psychology Channel. Hello, you. You thought we were going to talk about this Netflix show without Netflix slander hour happening at some point? Uh, you were wrong. Potential for spice. Tripping balls on acid. What the fuck? <laughs>